welcome to Network AF. On this episode, I talk with my friend Jezebel Gilmore about how she got into the industry, starting uh, working as an assistant at uh, AboveNet, a hosting company, moving into operations and, and deployment at Akamai, going over to the enterprise side, and then coming back actually being an entrepreneur in the service provider world. We talk about how she got into tech, a little bit about the difference between enterprise and service provider, how she's thought about and learned between the business side and the technical side, and as we often do about growing the community, bringing people in and teaching and educating. Thanks and enjoy the episode. Hi, and welcome to Network AF. I'm here with my friend Jezebel Gilmore. Jezebel, could you give us a little bit of an intro? Where are you and what are you up to professionally? Hello, everybody. I am Jezebel Gilmore, and I am currently in Milton, Massachusetts. There's an ice storm going on outside, <laughs> and I am the co-founder and chief commercial officer of Packer Fabric. We are a network as a service platform uh, providing data center interconnection um, and cloud connectivity for anybody and everybody who needs to reach a destination. Awesome. That sounds like a lot of people. What is a chief commercial officer? Well, that means I am in charge of the revenue uh, of the business. Okay. Finding customers and making them happy. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we've known each other for over a decade, a few decades. Um, <laughs> could you describe how you got into networking? Well, um, absolutely. In fact, you know, here's a great story that involves Avi. Um, I got into networking totally by chance. Um, I was working at a law firm in which I found it not to be a great fit for me. Um, and I was leaving the firm. One of the clients of the firm, which was the CEO of AboveNet Communications at that point, uh, said, hey, I hear you're leaving the firm. Where are you going? Um, I said, oh, I am just looking for something new to do. This is not a great fit for me. Um, he said, hey, I have a startup company called AboveNet. And do you want to come and work for us? And I said, what do you do? And he talked about what AboveNet did, which at that point, it seemed like a total foreign language to me. And he <laughs> talked about uh, carrier hotels and internet, and, you know, it sounded really cool, but I didn't understand really any of it. Um, and I said, you know, what am I going to do if I don't really understand what you do? And he said, well, you know, everybody's learning because it's a fast evolving industry. And to me, that sounded very interesting, something that is moving fast and everybody in it is trying to do something new. So I decided to give it a try. And well, at AboveNet Communications, I met Avi, uh, who was the VP of engineering at that point. And um, Avi and many others at AboveNet truly helped me learn uh, what the internet is all about, you know, what co-location is all about, how the ecosystem plays into each other. And um, in addition to learning the technologies 
you know, which evolved tremendously since then, Avi. It was in, I think, 1998. A lot um, of the stuff is the same, but yes, the the <laughs> applications of it is different. Yes, it has different names. Absolutely. The same concepts. And we might have added a few zeros, right, for the capacity. <laughs> that, yes. that, um, but the business concept didn't change. The ecosystem didn't change. Um, what really drove the business had grown. And I think that the, my ability to really understand what is driving the business um, has helped me to get into the position that I'm in today, not just the technology itself. Well, it was interesting because as someone that likes to solve problems for people, um, Dave Rand, uh, who's another you know, co-founder who I worked for, had his own version of focus. I did a uh, an interview with Dave Schaefer of Cogent, and they certainly have a lot of focus. And Dave said, you're welcome to bring your T3 or OC3 in, but we give you an Ethernet. Everything we do is Ethernet. You can do whatever you want to the other end. And you know that brought a certain amount of focus to the organization and uh, what we did and how we thought about it. And then the other principle, which is still debated was QoS means quantity of service and not like rate shaping people and, you know, aggressively peering, which again is still debated, you know, more capacity means more revenue if you charge usage-based and happier customers. And again, no one was talking about customer success in 1999, but as a, as a, as a formal thing, but the idea of that was a little bit heretical because, you know, at the time, People were saying, well, my goal is to is to sell you as much capacity as I can and hope you use none of it, which is a very different philosophy than SaaS or um, uh, network as a service or or even modern networking, you know, the way some people think of it. Was it was it helpful to be in the Bay Area? Did you get involved? I'm trying to remember back into the the late 90s, um, you know, because, you know, I remember we had networking meetups and I think you might have went to one of them. We we're trying to figure out when you met your now husband, who's also in the networking community. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, I actually did meet him back in the Bay Area. And I think that um, I he tells me all the time, he reminds me all the time that uh, I don't remember meeting him uh, in the Bay Area. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but we did um, go to many industry gatherings and i think that really helped right because everybody were willing to share um Mm -hmm. exchanging knowledge and i think for me i actually exchanged making dinner for the engineering team often uh for their support in teaching me how the technologies worked and set up labs uh, for me to work on so that I can have somewhere to practice, you know, mm-hmm. the information, the knowledge that I've learned. So um, it's not tit for tat, but it's a great, to me, it was a great exchange because that's not education you can buy even, right? And I didn't really have any time to go to school to learn that. So um, it was really useful hands-on information that I was able to acquire that was not taught at school because that was technology that's being put into use right there and then mm-hmm. uh, that's being developed, right? So um, to me, that really helped shape my, cur- shape my career and shape 
my understanding of pushing the envelope, you know, doing something new on the fly and learning, having the ability to learn while doing um, has really helped me grow throughout my career. Yeah. And, and I guess also not um, waiting and not asking for permission, <laughs> however you formalize that, right? Which is, cool. uh, you know, um, uh, yeah, a friend of mine from high school, Hillary, who worked at my ISB, also, she would just go up to people and say, tell me this, tell me this, tell me this. Yeah, I'll answer the customer's question if you tell me this and enable me. And we had no training program and we had no, it was all, you know, just go figure it out, um, which only works to a certain scale. So you need to have that willingness. Well, that actually is one of the reasons why that I, uh, as the chief commercial officer today, invest so heavily on sales enablement, which is basically training for the sales team, because the better informed they are, the better that they can support the customer base, mm -hmm. right? So having constant interaction with <clears throat> engineers and having the ability for the engineers to explain how something worked or why it works the way that it does. And, um, you know, what are the features? What do they mean? How does it affect the customer's lives? Empowers the sales team to work better with the customer base. Because sometimes when a customer asks the question and the sales team only can answer it in a way that is prescri prescribed by the product team, if they don't understand why it is, then they can't answer it intelligently. But when the engineers uh, or even the product team explains it in a way that the customer may not even be aware that it does more than what the customer wants it to do, what it does, it just does what the customer wants in a different way, it can help the customer change their mind on how they're architecting their solutions by utilizing something that's more innovative. So to me, uh, is always a different way of wrapping yourself around the knowledge and letting it help um, not just me, myself, but, you know, others. So the, the learning piece of being in a growing environment is something that's always inspires me uh, and inspires me to push others to learn. It's uh, a difficult life selling to network people as a pain in the ass network person you know um we see this you know at kentic also if people are happy then usually they're like leave me alone i'm happy even if you want to say like tell me about your problems and what you're trying to do and even if it isn't something i can help you with i'll introduce you or i'll share with you you know from your peers who don't compete with you and you can all talk to each other but it's a very multitasked world, you know, in the service provider and, and web company world and what we call production networking, it's not as much ticket-based as like IT, but it's still very, there's lots of stuff going on and it's hard to compete. And so those conversations can be hard. And yes, if you don't add value, then you get put in the category. It can be hard to go from the no value to value. Um, and uh, so, yeah, you have to hire, you have to select for people that want to want to do that learning and, and, take that plus their interpersonal skills. And so when I look at things to do, I generally want to make things happen and create things and drive them forward. And, and you can do that by building things. You can do that by selling things. 
you know, there's this continuum between business and technology. When you make a company, you have to do both. You talked about labs and, and trading food for technical knowledge and, well, let's say friendship and, and engagement yeah. for, for, for yes. technical knowledge. How did you, you know, think about and decide between, you know, um, your interests on the understanding the technology and policy and business, you know, continuum, you know? You know, I actually, at the beginning, I never thought that I was going to get into the business side of things. I was really interested in the operational side of things. I wanted to know how things worked, how to make them better, right? And how to improve um, the processes and the technologies to, to just make it work better. I enjoyed, as you say, helping others uh, to achieve their success. But then um, I think it's part because that I had to learn on my own and that I didn't quite feel as confident and as technical uh, as probably most others in the industry. Um, when someone's talking about something in a really technical fashion and I see other people's eyes glaze over, uh, you know, I- I apologize. I, I want to- <laughs> Thank you, Avi. Uh, but although, you know, you can be extremely technical, you are also uh, able to explain in layman's terms how something works. You've done that for me so many times, and I absolutely appreciate that. And so I want to be able to do that for others, which is, you know, I want to help others understand the benefit and of some services or technologies that brings for them, because it could truly change somebody's life and make their lives better. And, and I, I recognized uh, at some point in my career that I had the ability to be able to break things down into terms that others can understand and feel comfortable with in asking questions and uh, listening to what you know I'm trying to explain. Because I don't appear to be super technical and I'm not using you know, technical jargons left and right. I'm not trying to prove myself. I'm trying to help uh, others to understand. So I think I've over time gained the luxury of people uh, putting their guards down and, you know, having honest and um, grounded conversations with me. Mm -hmm. um, and again, you know, that has a lot of influence with me asking really probably pretty dumb questions early on and having you having the patience um, and many others. Found, please say, say foundational questions. Fo foundational questions. I, yes. I had to ask very foundational questions. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because the process, the time when you're learning is the best time to teach other people because you're just remembering what was confusing that shouldn't have been. Um, and so how do we uh, normalize that when I run into people that are, um, I guess I'm an old, old person now, but, you know, in their graduating college and they're talking about how they get a job and career, I'm saying, you know, start a blog, document the things that you're learning. Uh, Julia Evans does this with zines in the observability and sysadmin space. And, you know, they're foundational things, uh, but, you know, they wind up being very helpful to people because it's it's at that time when you know the experts write the books and but they're written for experts and then so you know it can be it can be you know difficult to get into that. So from uh, from above net 
then you went directly to Akamai, right? That's right. Think, yes. Which is not where you met your husband, but <laughs> you did work together <laughs> there. <laughs> but, well, that's where I thought I met my husband, even though I actually met him in the Bay Area uh, multiple times, apparently, as well, because multiple people vouches for him. Uh, that's for right. We used to me. we used to have the sushi meetups, the sushi meetups in in the Bay Area. So the sushi cavals. That's right. Yes, the sushi caval. Yes. Um, and uh, so there you were more on the operational side, uh, making you know making the world's largest non-network get bigger, um, uh, you know, working on the logistics and of all that. But then you went into the uh, the the enterprise side. I, I did. In a, was it directly totally... there to State Street or? Yes, I went from Akamai to State Street um, on the technology sourcing side. And so a totally reverse role, right? I was really pushing Akamai's A&P services to uh, uh -huh. the networks. And now I'm turning it around at, a, you know, one of the largest financial institutions in the world at that point, uh, sourcing all the different technologies that, you know, they needed uh, from network services, whether it's WAVE and or ATM service uh, <laughs> uh, uh, or uh, IBM mainframe, right? Because that, you know, I remember in the, uh, at the last day of the year or two, the two days before the last days of the year, um, we were running around to trying to complete a purchase of, you know, multi-million dollars of mainframe maintenance contract. And, and it required so many different signatures uh, across the organization. And people had already gone on holiday and, you know, trying to call people on their uh, really precious mobile phones because it was still early, yes. you know, yeah. not everybody had mobile phones. And while they're on holiday to obtain a signature because you have to fax uh, the contract over and mm -hmm. then resort them back into uh, the way the contract needs to be taught to me the process, how enterprise companies worked in their purchasing process, which came in. And, and I never thought I thought, oh, my God, this is the most ridiculous thing at that point. But now it is so useful because now as the chief commercial officer, which sells largely to enterprise, large enterprises, I have a total appreciation for the trouble that, you know, my counterparts have to go through in buying a service and how challenging it is even when they want to spend the money. It's amazing how much longer it can take to buy it than the decision that it makes, you know, th that they have to make to buy it. Um, you know, especially with large, you know, service providers. And then, yeah, lots of, uh, I'll say customs that we build up that, that get brought from company to company that probably need to be modernized. But on the other hand, you know, there needs to be some way to safeguard that people are spending properly. Have you, have, have you at Packet Fabric considered offsetting your calendar year and fiscal year? We keep talking about it and not doing it, um, you know, somehow. Not quite yet, not okay. quite yet. Although I am going to say that, you know, which I, Packet Fabric is very focused on automation, right? But there's a human element in the enterprise purchasing process today that you cannot automate because you cannot change 
the culture of your customers organization yeah. it's the customs and, of the customers it's, it's the traditions the way people are raised you know yeah and so so much of that that you have to adjust the way that you're doing business towards and so sometimes you say you can't leave hmm. you know you can lead the horse to water but you can't make them drink and the two diverse side of the organization, right? The engineering side, yes, I want to consume the automation, I need it. And then you have to have both the patience and the appreciation and uh, create a process that can work with the sourcing, the procurement team uh, to make it work on their side so that the engineering side can have the solution that you offer it. Yep. Yeah, no, it's it's... All of these are things to nerd about. You know, you can nerd about the networking, the interconnection, politics, and and policies, uh, the business side, and ultimately to make um, to make something and and bring it to market. You need to there there needs to be a team of people to do all these things. So, um, and uh, you know, it's it's interesting, and we're thinking about for the community that the 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 mix like if you go to a peering forum it's a much more diverse crowd than um uh than uh you know ietf <laughs> or, or you know an area where people are building protocols actually probably itf is more diverse than nanog actually uh in some ways you know on the core engineering side but um mm -hmm. you know um it's just interesting to see uh what people's passions are and, and how you pick it up but it's all it's all things to know about so you were in enterprise. We talked about um, understanding how enterprises buy and the reverse, how you sell to them. But, you know, it's interesting because there's smart people doing things that are really critical in both service providers and enterprise, but they are different cultures in some ways. Um, you know, what was your takeaway from that? And does that drive... Um, you know, some of your, you know, your choice to come back more onto the service provider side, or is that more about, you know, um, st stage of company and wanting to be in startups? Like, wh what did you take away from, I'll just say the enterprise experience um, about the deltas and cultures and, you know, what, what your, what the, how that drives your passions? Well, so first of all, what drew me back into telecom is the openness, the welcomeness and you know the the tight knit community and the interdependency that uh, the community has, right? And I think the word frenemy uh, or <laughs> co-opetition, yes, you know, is uh, it's common, and I think everybody knows that. And we all work together to really, at the end of the day, to create a better internet for everyone to consume. And from the enterprise side, you know, I learned so much on um, not just the mentality the practice but um what is the key objective that enterprises had that drove their decision making right and it's so very different than what carriers and telcos uh keep in mind and have as their decision making criteria so um that that actually helped shape um Packet Fabric as a company. And by the way, uh, for all of you who's out there and didn't know, Packet Fabric uh, 
was a company that Avi actually started in 2007, version one. Version, yeah. version one. And so um, we just, and Avi as a friend of Packet Fabric, uh, gave us the company name uh, and uh, as as a uh, a gift in support of the company. So Avi, we are eternally grateful for for that. You're welcome. Still. That's a future conversation. Is when you're right when you're right with the idea, but wrong with the timing, uh, which I've had happen to me a few times. So you know. So, um, but you know, I was there in uh, with Avi in the Rev One of Packet Fabric, and then uh, Avi had already at that point started the. Rev one of Cantic in Cloud Helix. And so we uh, um, he gave us his blessing to move forward with Packet Fabric Rev 2 uh, mm -hmm. in 2015. So, but yeah, coming back, we, <laughs> go ahead. We thought we might want the name because early on we actually were doing sensors and packets and stuff, but Cantic has really stayed Cloud Helix. Now Cantic has stayed at the high level. Uh, analytics, telemetry, operations, security, and in, in the modern ways of orchestration and cloud, and and as you said, automation, uh, people generally don't want to be watching all the packets. So um, you are now. <laughs> so the packet fabric is moving the packets, not watching them. Uh, so I'm I'm glad to see uh, everyone talking about packet fabric uh, and the name being used well. So. And again, thank you. But you know something that you talked about earlier. Um, that's a legacy mentality in um, at the BovNet days, you know, people wanted to have customers who bought a lot of capacity and didn't use any of it, right? Mm -hmm. um, the mentality, at least to me, has really shifted in that your network is really only as good as the people that's consuming it. If nobody's using it, and then what good does it do, right? So um, interconnection, is based on the principle that you are leveraging each other over a platform. And that's what I think made Packet Fabric really powerful and will continue to make Packet Fabric powerful. And, and that's what I learned from you know, the years of us working together and you know, listening to the conversations. Uh, I, I'm generally not this talkative. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, and I let, other people talk, smart people like Avi, and I like to listen. And I hear everybody talking, you know, the consumption model uh, of services across a broad platform. And it always made me think, you know, why is it so difficult for people to get connected to each other? And that's really, at the end of the day, uh, the driver that we came up with for Packet Fabric for interconnection. So first of all, don't downgrade your own smarts. But second of all, synthesis can be more valuable than deep technical knowledge. Because as you said, if people, if you can't make people understand it, uh, then you know what good is it? But uh, I'll make a note mentally. Uh, definitely, we'll do a panel about the evolution of peering. You know, from cost optimization to, I mean, uh, you have taught me value increase. Right? How do you get um, you know synergistic value by bringing people together? Um, or is it about control and performance, which it is for a lot of a lot of my customers? We sort of always viewed it that way at AboveNet, which was heretical back when people were trying to shape, you know, rate limit the bandwidth down and optimize. Um, and that's still a 
something that's interesting as I think about enterprise versus service provider is, um, you know, service providers um, being on the shift to away from just like, oh, I must make a maximum amount of return for my CapEx to just thinking more broadly about services that they can be in to help customers, you know, and that also happen to be higher margin and where people are on that trend. It was very interesting for me at PTC uh, where we didn't have quite as many meetings as previous years. So I actually went to the panels, which I didn't usually do. And just, you know, to see that what we're doing, especially with COVID, people really understand, you know, being connected is important. Um, uh, both the coopetition and frenemies and just all people on panels that used to work for each other, but they're now, you know, competitors, but also just people are, you know, understanding the core infrastructure could be good business, you know, um, uh, you know, it's very sticky and, and it's also necessary and it's, you know, probably not going away, uh, you know, because the data center space has been hot and not multiple times, let's just say, you know, over the decades. So, uh and there's so much building happening, uh, you know, on the data center side. And, and I, I think that's something um, I learned early on in my career for being at AboveNet, right? I was, I was told, you know, what, what is a data center going to do if there's no network? It's just a concrete box with mm-hmm. uh, power, right? So, you grow weed. Um, Crypto mine. I mean, there's a few things you could do with power, uh, with cold power, but you know. <laughs> Absolutely. I hear uh, cannabis is big business. And it is. Well, there's a lot of opportunity zones. I, I know some buildings where opportunity zones are doing both uh, crypto mining and um, uh, 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 flora. And agriculture. <laughs> Forestry, <laughs> yes. Agriculture. <laughs> Uh, everyone wants to be in uh, opportunity zones, which is another question and policy-wise what we should do there. So, um, yeah, I know I was in Virginia a few times at the end of last year, and I just, as much as you know how much building there is, I just, to see there's a thermal more. heat map, there's more. Everywhere I was driving, I was like, oh, let's go to the McDonald's. Let's go to the whatever. Everywhere that I was driving, there was like six more multi-megawatt data centers, you know, that I had never, uh, you know, gigawatt data centers probably that I had never seen. And, uh, you know, well, our stuff, half of our stuff is a DC3, which is one of the, I think it was actually an old Exodus data center, you know, that then Equinix took over um, that's off the campus. So that's like quaint and tiny uh, by, uh, by moderns, even above that was quaint and tiny, except for the DC plant that Dave was a big believer in. Um, so you did mention um, back in the 90s when everything was moving very fast. I think it is that definitely that kind of time um, nowadays from what we see with customers with where's the network? Is it the cloud? Is it the container native you know, interface in, in the server? Is it, uh, is it my network? Is it their network? Is it the application? Uh, people trying to replace network people with APIs, provisioning and automation of everything. What are you excited, you know, what makes you excited to live in these times and be in the network space? What are you watching over the next couple of years and and hoping or fearing, you know, around innovation? Well, I think there's a lot of different things to watch, right? So first of all, uh, I am always looking for the killer application that is going to drive 
real edge compute. Everybody's been talking about edge, uh, right? But, and then lots of people talk about- um, It's not Tesla. Self-driving cars, right? And then I was like, listen, if the car have to wait for the network to drive, then I'm never getting in the car again. So so it's not the self-driving car. The car needs to make, the compute on the car has to be able to make the decision, right? The, the, The data connectivity has to come at a later point. Um, but what is the application? Because we know it's coming, right? It's just like we, you know, everybody talk, talk about compute, um, cloud computing. Obviously, I know that we talked about this in 2004 yeah. uh, at Akamai. And, you know, it's too bad that we didn't get into the business then. I sucked, uh, at, I sucked at product. I still suck at product marketing, but I really sucked <laughs> at product marketing at the time. And let me, let me clarify. It might be the metaverse on Tesla, Ready Player Two, which we should only do while parked. But it's not going to be merely, you know, smart city telemetry that requires that to be stored and processed at the edge, you know, today. But yeah, but you're right. I mean, everyone's investing in it. The infrastructure's there. We know CDNs need it. We know performance testing needs it. Um, but you know, how does it get? How does it evolve from there? I'm I'm fascinated too. Right. And, you know, is it going to be the killer health app, you know, lifestyle app? Like, what is it that's going to be driving this? We don't know that. Is it going to be that, you know, we can now uh, in the future, instead of watching uh, Game of Thrones, you can actually now be a part of Game of Thrones. Is future entertainment going to be that you are actually part of the entertainment, you participate in the entertainment Mm -hmm. yourself, right? And given Twitch, again, uh, it was a total new concept to me back in early 2010s, right? Yeah. And uh, wait, somebody's going to want to watch somebody else playing video games online? Why? Okay, right. But God, there's, there's hundreds of Millions of people do that yeah. every day, right? So um, who knows what the future would bring? And and I, I am open-minded. I'm trying to be more open-minded, keeping my eyes out. But knowing that all of that will depend on having infrastructure and that, yes, software is cold, but I also know deep down that there's a physical element to infrastructure, that's not going to be able to go away, mm-hmm. right? So, and unless you have the ability to put them together to associate that the software element to the actual physical infrastructure and tie them together to work for the eventual business objective, it you know, you're not going to be able to take advantage of the entire stack. It's an interesting question that's playing out before us. Where is the line between, you know, network and application? Is it even if you ask someone, what is a service mesh? What is a load balancer? What is a network mesh? Where where do you apply policy? Where do you get telemetry? How much do you compute at the edge versus not? Um, Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, And then there's different tribes who have different religious opinions about how far up and down it's going to go. The trend that we're seeing is and investing in is that operators are is that we really ultimately need to be more like it was in the '90s when there was just nerd 
and it wasn't sysadmin nerd or IT ops nerd or database nerd or storage nerd or telemetry nerd or uh, security nerd or you know and it was it was the entirety of it. And yet at the same time, as things get more complex, um, automation doesn't mean simplicity. And and you know if you do need to go down, what you said, Jezebel, about you know, there's ultimately infrastructure that's true across all these dimensions. And um, which I guess leads to a next topic, which is um, let's play on your Game of Thrones. One of, the, one of the quotes from Game of Thrones is it is known, right? You look at someone, it's like, well, how could you not know that? But in many professions, including networking, a lot of the, what we need to know doesn't come from you know, classes that we learn or study on our own, but is someone says, well, of course you wouldn't use spanning tree that way, or you wouldn't um, ask network Jill to do this because, you know, their policies are this. And if we want to grow the network of networkers, and awareness and 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 going between layers, we need to um, you know recognize that is that you know this tribal knowledge and apprenticeship versus formal knowledge. Um, you know how do you see that? I mean, how did you? It's, you talked about sort of being in conversations and trading food for and friendship for for learning. I mean, do you think that's getting better or? Uh, more complex when you're hiring people. How how do you address it now? Well, uh, that's a, actually a very difficult question because um, there's a whole new set of platforms, information, attainment uh, apparatus, right? Methods that you can obtain information. It's much easier to search for information these days. Um, but even then, how do you know what's correct, what's not, one? And um, and even if you learned in school, how do you know it's still relevant? Because things are moving so fast and everybody's making changes all the time. So um, from the tribal knowledge perspective, Avi, you know that that uh, people say, oh, there's the in-group, there's the out-group, but it's not even that. Right. It's the how did you get into the in-group? And people say, oh, how did you how did you get, you know, in to be accepted? You're not like a normal nerd. Well, we broke things together. We grew up together and we helped each other out. Well, you know, someone broke the internet, helped me fix it. And I, you know, I took part of the internet down. Oh my God. We had a panel about that. Uh, yeah, we had a panel about that a couple of nights ago. <laughs> <laughs> and right, and nowadays nobody has the ability to easily break the internet anymore uh, because oh well, okay, okay. never mind. Well, <laughs> yes, but most it's companies harder. put oh, no, in, you don't yes. have permission. You, you, the, the consequences are more severe. Yes, yes, nobody ever had permission to break the internet, but it was easier to make a mistake then because yeah. now. There are gatekeepers in technology, right, that prevent you from doing something yeah. stupid. Um, but back at those times when you broke something, 
that, you know, that's when you really learn that you screwed up and you're trying to find a way to fix it. And you're leveraging all of your friends, all the people, you know, and helping you. And those people became your trusted resources and you rely on each other. You still do that today, right? We talk about frenemy and co-opetition. If part, one part of the internet is down, that means that nobody else can reach it. It's not just that part that is down, that, that it's down for everyone. So we used to talk about the hallway track at Nanog, which is getting going again, but with COVID, you know, is not fully enabled. Right. And, you know, people talk about, and people are also more open in the, we call it the olden days, you know, that mm -hmm. people were open to talk about the mistakes that they made. Nowadays, nobody wants to talk about it because the companies that they work for prevent them from talking about it, right? Nobody wants They're to admit worth billion, Tens of billions, hundreds of billions <laughs> of trillions of dollars, dollars which yeah. is a little different than the 90s. So. <laughs> Absolutely. The little industry that, you know, we worked on that was sort of a science project is now one of the largest industries in the world, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, absolutely, things have certainly evolved and grown and are very different today than they were back then. But even now, when you're thinking about um, how to get into, into that, really, you just need to lose your inhibition and, you know, step into a conversation, ask the foundational questions uh see avi i can learn too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> ask the foundational questions you know don't let your ego get in front of you being a part and taking part because just so that for the people who are listening or watching if you think that oh how embarrassing it is for me to ask something that's not smart or not not be seen as sophisticated nobody really go out there and think oh i'm going to ask a question that's going to make me look really sophisticated uh, there we are ask people questions. that do that everyone hates them because they're they're asking a question just to ask a question so don't be that person no, right but i ask what you ask questions to learn and when it's authentic People spot that, people recognize that, and they want to help you. And we live in a community, in an industry, that people truly want to help each other. So it, that's how I got into the industry. And I think Avi would say that's how he's helped many, many others. And that's how I continue. And we all continue to help many others in the industry. You know, be authentic and just don't be afraid and let yourself ask the questions that you want to know and want to learn about it's interesting to hear you talk about the in crowd and i certainly in i'll say middle school and high school was not in the in crowd but it's interesting because i don't want to because i don't see it i've heard you and your husband patrick describe it and others but i don't see it because i started um helping people long enough ago that to me, it's just a bunch of people and we all talk. Um, and I, But as I've tried to pay attention, it does seem like it is better than it was. And let's just pick on NANOG, the North American Network Operator Group. I think there are, uh, there's newscomer breakfast, there's uh, women's, women's lunches, there's 
ways that we try to formalize that. And I definitely also would encourage people. Um, and also, um, I know it can be hard. There, there. I won't say that everyone in these communities is uh, friendly or that you'll hit them at a time when they're not working on five other things because sometimes network people get, you know, like that. But um, I definitely would also encourage just trying to uh, make connections and chat. And if you have, if you're going to your first conference and want some assistance, feel free to ping Jezebel or I, and we will try to help as well. Absolutely. And, you know, Avi, something you just said, the in-crowd, people who are in the in-crowd don't think that it's the in-crowd. It's just friends getting together, sometimes having very uh, passionate discussions <laughs> and that, uh, that make it seem very intimidating for others. It's not that we're fighting. We don't, we're not fighting with each other. We're just very passionate about what we're talking mm -hmm. about. And sometimes our voice get raised and our arms are moving around. <laughs> um, but it's not the in crowd to, you know, people probably consider you and I are in the in crowd, but we're not, we never think it's the in crowd. It's just friends seeing each other talking about something that, um, that is really important to ourselves, to us, mm -hmm. right? And so if you see us talking in the hallway and that seems, you know, really heated and passionate, come and just come in and listen and talk and, you know, gem with us and drive in and to jump in and, you know. Yeah, and it's all relative. Us. One time I saw uh, Steve Belovin and I forget who he was talking to and someone else. And I was like, oh, I wonder what they're talking about. Those are smart people. And then, you know, uh, Steve turned to me and talked about how his son saw me on, on TV playing poker. And I didn't even know that he knew who I was, but I have his book because he, you know, and followed the work that he did at Bell Labs and, and all that. And, you know, when you then meet people, you realize they're just people. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Yeah. And they have, you know, and, and we definitely do talk about things that are not only networking. Um, I'll say not only networking and maybe food is the second <laughs> of <those> topic. So <laughs> not only networking and food, uh, but, yeah. uh, you know, Who don't tell me like about which eat? Nanog and which city. Just remind me which restaurant we ate at, and, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Although and, I definitely and have some. I was going to say so much, uh, you know, relationships, so so many great relationships and conversations were had over, you know, meals of people sharing mm -hmm. meals together. And um, what a great way to build friend friendship. Mm -hmm. Definitely. You talked about, uh, I'll just keep coming back to it because I don't remember the trading food for networking tidbits and lab assistance and all that, but um, that certainly wasn't in your job description as executive assistant to the CEO. Um, no, not at all. So when you think about people that do want to get into, um, get into the industry, get into more advanced kinds of networking, whether it's the technical side or the business side, what are you looking for when you are hiring? What are you looking for? What do you encourage people to do when they're, um, you know, new uh, to the industry, uh, you know, in the commercial, in the, in the job sense? Nowadays, um, 
you know, I recognize that something that you cannot teach or build is great. It's the because you have to come back. Life is not easy. Building a network is not easy. Working in a fast pace, fast moving, ever changing industry is not easy. And what you really need is someone who is willing to get up again and again every day after you know uh, challenges. Insurmountable, it seems like. You're saying everyone should start as a recruiter or an SDR and spend <laughs> and spend a few months being told no 50 times a day or 500 times a and, day. But it, in, you know, it's not just that. It's it's not the external. Sometimes it's even internal, right? When you're trying to do something and um, and you're not just finding the success. As a parent now, mm-hmm. I am learning how you help you know, your child to build confidence yeah. Yeah. Uh, is to allow them to fail and then help them try again and succeed at that. That's how you build confidence. They they need to, if they succeed the first time around, it doesn't help them build confidence, right? And so if you give them an answer and help them succeed the first time, it doesn't really help them. Um and really what needs to happen is for people to get through, they need to experience the failure and then they need to be able to get back up and do it again. But when that's repeated, as you say, every 50 times a day, um, it becomes really challenging. And then for someone to come back again and willing to put in the effort and then do it again the next day and the next day. And that's, you know, the kind of perseverance, that kind of character I look for in someone you know obviously you need to have the basic knowledge and the tech the technical knowledge that's needed but even if nobody's going to know it all right and it changes all the time so you have to have the drive and the curiosity and to say that you know i'm going to learn what i don't know and i'm going to do it until i get to success and that's uh, I think that you can call it drive, you can call it grit, whatever it is. It's you know it's that character um, that I look for individuals um, that's that helps me and helps my company to be successful. That's a good way of describing it. I sometimes think about looking for people that enjoy being confused and unconfusing themselves like the solving the puzzle but not everybody works that way sometimes you still have to get through it even when it's very frustrating um one of the um uh, masters at the taekwondo school that i i went to in philadelphia um i asked to you know i i, I quoted keeping the faith and it's like well i i just have to embrace my suckiness because i'm never going to be good at this and he said but that means you can be the best. Again, very sort of, you know, in, in Taekwondo, there's a principle, uh, Bekjul Bulgul, which is the indomitable spirit, which is just, you know, keep trying, keep keep at it. And he said the people that come to Taekwondo that he's, in his experience, who have been cheerleaders and athletes and super flexible, and it's all super intuitive to them, all hit a point where all of a sudden they it's hard. And then more often than not, they quit. They're like, okay, this is no fun anymore. But the people for whom it's super hard from the beginning have to sort of self-select that they, 
want to do that. Now, everyone, I think, has to figure out their own way of endorphin mapping. How do they get the reward, right? For me, it's about creating things or, you know, and seeing people use them and talking to customers. But um, for some people, it's knowledge for knowledge's sake. So, um, yeah, how do we select for that? How do we look for that is uh, an interesting question. And, you know, give people the opportunity and permission to do that. The Maybe not the permission to blow up the internet or to blow up production. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's a challenge too, which I have talked about with other folks is there used to be uh, smaller consequences um, as a company that talks about outages on public media, uh, well, public and private media, but, you know, and in the press and provides data, um, we try to keep it just to the facts, but, um, you know, these things have bigger impacts. So how do we help people learn? Now we have virtualized labs. You don't need to put routers in on your bookshelf or, you know, your, your basement or whatever, but interesting questions. So, well, I hope to see you soon. Good luck with continued with Packet Fabric. If someone wants to contact you or find you, how should they do that, Jezebel? Oh, well, you can reach out to me at Jezebel at Jezebel.com or Jezebel at PacketFabric.com. Um, so, and to see me in the hallways, flag me down. Um, I am also on LinkedIn, Facebook, you know, uh, all different types of social media. But um, again, I think, Avi, you hit on something that you just said, uh, which is that people are normal people. Everybody are just people. So, um, you know, we are the ones that get in our own way. Our ego is what gets in our own way of becoming the best versions of ourselves and often providing us, preventing us from, you know, reaching out to, to connect with others to become better versions of ourselves. So um, don't let that happen. Don't let, you know, your um, insecurity prevent you from growing. And so, and that's, Avi makes it so easy for me to always reach out <clears throat> anytime to ask any kind of questions. And so whether foundational or not, Avi. <laughs> <laughs> well, for those that are feeling what you're describing, Jezebel, I'd encourage them to Google imposter syndrome. And most of the most successful people that I know of that I've talked about with it have imposter syndrome um, themselves. And I think that's, we haven't talked a lot about it, but through the decades, Jezebel and I have seen many people that have gotten wealthy and one of the things that you learn is a lot of it is just about luck, right? Uh, a lot yep. of the timing the, and luck, you know, now you can help your own luck in different ways, but there are some great people that worked really hard with super great, created great things that we all use who didn't get that wealthy. And, and then there's some people that, you know, it's easy to look at it and say they didn't deserve that. They just got lucky. But, um, uh, you know, the, some of the people that, um, you know, wound up creating the most foundational things and, and or did the best um, still are like saying to themselves, well, why, why am I in this position? I'm just a person, you know, I'm just a nerd. Uh, and so those are the people you want to be friends with. But if you feel like that, it probably means that you're coming from a good place and uh, that just trust that other people are feeling the same way. 
uh, including the people that you think are the the built all the foundations that you you know you live in and work in. So that's right. And people I admire, like Avi, just a normal person. So <laughs> uh, I I may be the uh, third least normal person at my company, but I, I pretend. I pretend to be normal and uh, collect people that are collect friends that are that are uh, uh, at least you, I'll say unique. We don't want to say put value judges to say unique. Um, <laughs> express their uniqueness comfortably. So, and thank you for appreciating my uniqueness. <laughs> uh, absolutely, anytime. Uh, well, thanks again, Jezebel, and this has been Network AF. You can I'm Avi Friedman. You can reach me. Um, on uh, um, Avi at Kentech.com. I'm Avi Friedman on Twitter. I'm Avi at Friedman.net. Avi Friedman on LinkedIn. Um, and uh, we've got cool educational resources and at Kentech um, and also um, lots of fun conversations on the blog. Thanks.